so that just is it kind of illustrates what problems we get into. Uh, before I get into the message, uh, I want to make a, just a, a reference here. Uh, the largest writing project I've ever been involved with is this book. I uh, co-authored with Elmer Deal, a veteran missionary to the Congo, and I'm going to close the message today talking about Mary, um, one of the greatest women, I guess, my wife and I have ever known. And uh, uh, Elmer has made this book available. Uh, normally it sells for 20, 556 pages, 32 pages of pictures to tell his and her life story. And if, if you're interested, they're in the lobby. Uh, and uh, he's making them available for $15 each. And uh, I want to get into the message. Memorial Day. Um, began after the Civil War. It was originally called Decoration Day in the 1860s uh, in uh, many of the uh, cities, both in the North and the South. Uh, people in, at the end of May would go to the cemetery and decorate the graves of the fallen soldiers. And this became so common that uh, an official declaration was made by General John Logan of the Grand Army of the Republic uh, for Memorial Day to be celebrated on the last uh, weekend of May, beginning in 1868. And on that particular occasion, flowers were placed on the graves of both Union and Confederate soldiers that were buried in Arlington National Cemetery. And then the practice was expanded to all cemeteries where fallen military were buried around the country. And today, that uh, uh, memorial is extended to all of our uh, veterans who have passed away wherever they are buried throughout the United States and actually the entire world. You may, if you're old enough, and I don't think this is common, as common today as it was, uh, this celebration was associated with red poppies that uh, were sold by some of the veterans groups to honor Memorial Day um, beginning back in the, uh, over a century ago. And this was, uh, it was established based upon Moyna Michael's poem from 1915, which said, we cherish to the poppy red that grows on fields where valor led. It seems to signal to the skies that blood of heroes never dies. And even today, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and other service organizations go to our cemeteries uh, a week or so before Memorial Day and put American flags by every tombstone and headstone 
of every deceased veteran in all of our cemeteries. It was my privilege a few years ago to go with one of my grandsons, then a Boy Scout, and participate in, in such an honor. And the point is, is that our fallen heroes, whose blood has provided the freedom that we all enjoy in this country, is worthy of memorial. Now, it's, and, and on that, uh, in that vein, I think it's appropriate that right now we ask all of the veterans, men and women, that are present with us today to stand and let us uh, give a recognition to those who, if they had been called upon, and some of them were called upon to put themselves in harm's way for our freedom. So veterans, would you please stand and let us recognize our veterans today. children of Israel 
forever. Now in the New Testament, and instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ, we have two other significant memorials, although we don't often probably think of them as memorials. But the Lord's Supper is a memorial to the giving of our Lord's body and the shedding of our Lord's blood on Calvary's cross to provide us forgiveness for our sins. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, the apostle writes of the Lord Jesus these words, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, that is the bread, and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after, cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as oft as you drink it in memorial or in remembrance of me. So the Lord's Supper is a memorial of God's redemption that Jesus gave his body and shed his blood, that you and I might be forgiven, not only having purpose and power to live this life on earth, but then to enjoy the, the, uh, the blessings of heaven throughout all of eternity. And then we have another memorial, and that is baptism. We don't think of baptism as a memorial, but it is. In the book of Romans, chapter 6, and verse 4, the Apostle Paul describes the idea of baptism this way. Therefore, he said, we are buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So the baptism is a memorial of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When we stand in the water, we represent Christ who gave himself for us when he died on the cross. We're buried beneath the water, representing our Lord as he was buried there in that sepulcher, there in the garden near the uh, near Golgotha's hill. And then we're raised out of the water representing the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, as Paul said, to walk in newness of life. So the Lord's Supper and Baptism are memorials, redemptive memorials, of what the Lord has done for us. Now the point is, our fallen heroes are worthy of memorial. God's redemption for the nation of Israel, God's redemption for us, as believers, is worthy of memorial. And today, I'd like for us to study for a few moments from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. And notice another memorial that was pronounced by the Lord Jesus Christ for an act of a special lady that he encountered in his ministry a woman that we call Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. So if you would follow 
Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 3 down to verse 9. The scripture says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flax, a very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone! Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and that whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told uh, as a memorial. Bless the reading and the declaration of your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to talk for a few minutes about why what Mary did was worthy of memorial. We understand our fallen heroes, what they did is worthy of memorial. We understand God's redemption and what the Lord did for us is worthy of memorial. And it's remarkable that here is a single act of anointing the Lord Jesus at, as he reclined at the table in the house of Simon the leper. Why is that worthy of memorial? Well, let me suggest three reasons. Number one, what she did was worthy of memorial because of the exclusiveness of her work. What our fallen heroes have done was for all of us. What the Lord did in delivering Israel from Egyptian bondage was for the whole nation. What the Lord Jesus did in dying for our sins, being buried and rising again, is for all believers. But what Mary of Bethany did was solely for the Lord himself. Now catch the scene. Simon the leper, obviously, he was cured of leprosy or he would not be allowed to host a meal because in the economy of, of, of Israel in those ancient days, people with leprosy were separated. They were quarantined, if you will, from people that were healthy. So Simon hosted this uh, supper because most likely he had been healed by the Lord Jesus. And out of gratitude he had means and so he hosted this supper. And in John chapter 12 we understand that it was a pretty big supper because Lazarus who had been raised by the Lord Jesus in John chapter 11 was there. 
and a large contingent of Jewish leaders were there. And the disciples were there. And Mary and Martha were there. In fact, there are some uh, in, in Christian tradition that believe that Simon the leper was the father of Lazarus and Martha and Mary, which, which is intriguing as, as a thought. We don't have a confirmation of that, but it's, it's probable. Now, we need to understand in the West that people in Bible days did not have their meals like we do here in the West with a, a, a chair with a back where you're sitting down and your feet are under the table. No, they reclined. They had couches that were kind of inclined so that as you reclined on the couch, uh, kind of like uh, the lounge chairs that you might have at a pool or something, they could, well, our pool chairs are adjustable, these would not be, but they would be such that you could lay on one side and your head would be there where the table was and then you could reach with your hand to the table and you could eat. And when you understand this, it makes a lot clearer many of the gospel stories. For instance, the Last Supper is not anything like uh, uh, Michelangelo's uh, painting or whoever's painting of it where they're all seated behind the table. They reclined the table. And that makes sense then whenever you understand how the John uh, was put his head in the bosom of Christ because all he had to do was lean back and he could speak to the Lord as we find so much of the conversation there in the Gospel of John and the other disciples wouldn't hear what he said because they were in close proximity. And so there were reclining um, inches, if you will, or reclining uh, beds like uh, uh, places for them to sit at, at the table. And, and Mary then came and with this uh, costly ointment broke the flask and reached and poured it on his head. And in the Gospel of John, we read that she also poured it on his feet. And she may have dribbled some of it or allowed uh, uh, portions of this uh, very aromic and uh, aromatic and, and wonderful ointment to fall on his clothes or on his shoulders or maybe on, on his arms or maybe on his legs. And the Bible says that uh, she then took her hair and wiped his feet with her hair, did not have a towel. And this act of service was exclusive to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here was an act to and for Christ alone. Here was an act of devotion to the Lord. Here was an act of service to the Lord that he honored. And he honored it for one reason, and that was it was solely for him. And there's some important lessons that we learn from what she did. We learn that God honors 
the things we do solely for Christ. Now we ought to know this because in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And we understand that the Lord wants us to serve others, but serve others with the idea of serving Him. In Matthew 25 and verse 40, Jesus said about the rewarding of those who served Him, these words, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it unto me. And so the question we need to ask ourselves on this Memorial Weekend is, what do we do exclusively for Christ? Now take a what? That challenges us. Why was Mary's act spoken of as a memorial wherever the gospel is going to be preached in the world? Because first of all, it was exclusively for Christ. The exclusiveness of it. Now what can we do exclusively for Christ? Well, you can confess Him before men. You can follow Him in believer's baptism. You can honor Him by reading His Word. You can honor Him by obeying what He said. We just had this series on financial um, management, really, these last three Sundays. You can honor Him by tithing. I like that bumper sticker that says, if you love Jesus, tithe, anybody can all. <laughs> that's what Mary was doing. Mary was Mary would have been one of those folks that tithe because of her exclusive servant to the Lord. How about being honest? How about being faithful? How about giving eight hours work for eight hours pay? doing it exclusively for Christ. In fact, that's the theme through much of the New Testament. Where we are to what? Uh, we're not to serve as, uh, as, uh, as uh, eye-pleasers or, or as uh, when, when someone's watching us, but we're to serve as unto the Lord. That's exclusiveness. Be the best worker you can be unto the Lord. Be the best student you can be because of the Lord. Be the best husband you can be because the Lord wants you to. Be the best wife you can be because the Lord. That's what Mary was doing. Why was she honored? Because of the exclusiveness of the Lord. And I remember the little verse which says, Only one life soon it will be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that's what this story is telling us. What you do exclusively, exclusively for Christ will be remembered. That's why it's worthy of memorial. And then secondly, what she did is worthy of memorial because of the expensiveness of it. Notice the cost of what 
Mary did to her for her to serve the Lord like this. 300 denarii, more than 300 denarii is what the disciples said it was worth. Well now, understand that a denarii is one day's pay of an average person. One day's pay. 300 denarii, if you take 365 days a year, you take off 360, 36, I'm sorry, you take off 65 days, that leaves you working 300 days. That's about a year's wage. Well, let's see. Let's say that I saw a sign over at the McDonald's on 85 that said that, that uh, it seemed to me that, that they were paying some people as much as $12 an hour. I don't know, it's probably not the entry level job, but uh, $12 an hour. Let's say you got a job making $12 an hour. Let's say you work 40 hours a week. And let's say you work for a year, 52 weeks. That would come to about $28,800 a year. Now some of us make more than that. Others of us who are retired and semi-retired, we'd love to make that. We don't, we don't come near that. But that lets you know how expensive that spike nerd ointment was that Mary took and broke and poured on his head and dribbled probably down on his robe and his arms and his legs and then and then uh, uh, anointed his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. How much it cost her? It was expensive. But it was not only expensive in terms of dollars, it cost her in terms of some social status. Because the disciples and led probably, according to Gospel of John chapter 12, led by Judas, um, criticized her for doing it. Why, why didn't they take this valuable ointment instead of anointing Jesus with it? Why didn't they sell it in the market and we would have money to give and take care of the poor. They criticized. Well, now, there's a lesson here, and that is that sometimes honorable service to Christ and others is not going to be approved by other people that are good people. Yeah, well, we may criticize Judas. You know, we may demean the criticism because of Judas and let it. But hey, the other disciples were also agreeing. So here's some good people that didn't like what Mary did. And here's the point. You may serve the Lord, and other people are going to criticize you. In all the years we've been in ministry, I know that there are people that have surrendered themselves to the gospel ministry, surrendered themselves to preach, and they got criticized by family members. Got criticized by people that they uh, were their friends. What are you going to do that for? I know that some of you have been criticized by your relatives because you come to church every week. And the point is, is that sometimes you're going to serve the Lord and not everybody's going to approve. But 
And notice the commendation. First of all, the Lord gives a command in verse 6, let her alone. Then he asks the question, why are you troubling her? And then he makes a statement, she has done a good work for me. And then he gives an answer, you have the poor with you always. That's what the argument was, let's give this to the poor. He had an answer for that. And then he made an analysis. She's done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And here's the lesson. If we will serve like Mary of Bethany, the Lord will defend what we do. And that is the best answer for anything you do. If you know what? In life, don't be so concerned about what everybody else thinks. You, you know who you have to live with 24-7? Yourself. And rather than pleasing everybody, you better make sure you're pleasing God, and then it doesn't matter. And that's the attitude Mary had, and that's one of the reasons why God honored her and why her, her action is worthy of memorial. Because of the exclusiveness of it. Because of the price that she paid. The expense of it. And then lastly, let me suggest the excellence of what she did. Now, remember who we're talking about here. Mary of Bethany. In my opinion, with all due respect to us guys, Mary of Bethany is probably the most intelligent, most perceptive, and most spiritual disciple Jesus had. Now, this is the Mary of Bethany who was criticized by her sister Martha in... Uh, I believe it's Mark chapter 10, because she was preparing, Martha was, a supper for the Lord, and she wanted Mary to help, and Mary wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to what he said. Now, this is not the first time the Lord Jesus has defended Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany sat at his feet and listened to what he said, but she did more than that. She responded. She believed and she took action based upon what he said. And the Lord says what, what she did, I want you to remember wherever the gospel is preached, number one, because it was excellent on the basis of it being motivated by love. She loved Lord Jesus Christ. He was sitting at the feast. She anointed his head. You know why? Because that's how you honor a person in that particular economy. You anoint their head. How did they honor the high priest? They anointed his head. How did they honor the king, recognize the king? He was anointed with his head. Samuel, when he anointed David, he took the flask of oil and poured it on his head. And so Mary was honoring the Lord by pouring the ointment on his head because he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And she was motivated by love for him. It was excellent. 
excellent not only because it was motivated, motivated by love, but she was motivated by faith. She anointed his feet where she had so often sat. She anointed his, his body because she had heard what he said and took it to heart. What did he say? He said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed to the magistrates. And the Jewish leadership will turn me over to the Romans. And the Romans will execute me. And I will die for the sins of the world. Now the other disciples, you remember whenever he said this to Peter in, in Matthew chapter 16? What did Peter do? He took him aside and said, don't talk like that. I don't believe that. Nothing like that's going to happen. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Mary was not Peter. Mary listened. And Mary believed. And Mary anointed him because of the faith. And that's why Jesus said she's done what she could. She has brought a good work on me. She's come beforehand to anoint my body of Mary. Motivated by faith. And then she was motivated by hope. This was the Mary who was so grieved when her brother Lazarus was sick and sent for Jesus. And you remember in John chapter 11, Jesus said, I'm glad to the disciples. I wasn't there for your sake, as you may believe. And he stayed there two more days, and Lazarus died. And it took probably two days for him to get to Bethany. And when, when Mary met Jesus, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. Remember what Jesus said in, in John chapter 11, verse 16? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Mary listened, and Mary believed that, and she came and anointed his body, by, uh, motivated by love, and motivated by faith, and motivated by hope. It's that hope. Yes, he would die. Yes, he would be buried. But yes, he would rise again from the dead. And it's because of the excellence of this act of love and faith and hope that Jesus said, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what she's done will be told as a memorial for her. Alfred Edersheim wrote, And it is this believing apprehension of the mystery of his death on her part, and this preparation of deepest love for it, this mixture of sorrow, faith, and devotion, which made her deed so precious, and wherever in the future the gospel would be preached, this also that she had done would be recorded for a memorial of her. And the question we must ask ourselves, what motivates us? Selfishness or love? Skepticism or faith? Despair or hope? What did, John, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? Then abides faith, hope, love. 
these three. And the greatest is love. And that's why what she did was excellent. Motivated by her love and motivated by her faith and motivated by her hope. What motivates me? What motivates you? That's the challenge of a memorial when we reflect on what Mary did. What Mary did was worthy of memorial because of the exclusiveness of her action. The expense that she went to to do this and the excellence of it. And I want to close with the story of another Mary. Mary Deal was born into the farm into a farm family in southwest Missouri on October the 11th, 1926. When a teenager, she met and fell in love with a neighbor boy named Elmer Deal. They became engaged before he went to fight in World War II and were married when he returned. They moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he worked as an aircraft mechanic for United Airlines. She accepted Christ in February of 1952 after Pastor Clifford Clark, who was Pastor Doug's pastor for so many years, visited their home. Elmer soon became a Christian also. They immediately were baptized and became active in their local church. Two years later, after a stirring message by Pastor Clark, Elmer surrendered to become a missionary, and Mary surrendered too. They soon entered Bible college for training, graduated, and were commissioned to carry the gospel to Africa in 1957. God led them to go to the Democratic Republic of Congo in the heart of Africa. They felt led to work in Albertville in the southernmost province of Katanga. Converted to Katanga province of Congo, that's where they went. They began their work using a Volkswagen bus and simple provisions to live in a third world country, doing gospel work among primitive tribal people. They did village evangelism, conducting services for whomever would listen, teaching small groups, and providing basic medical care as they could. They also met individuals in their home. After winning many to Christ, the deals discipled them and led them to follow Christ in baptism in the beautiful nearby Lake Tanganyika. Mary had an active ministry to the women and children. She was a vital help in planting their first church near Albertville, now Kalemi, on the west side of Lake Tanganyika. And I've got time, so let me let me add one little anecdote. I wrote this, but I didn't want to get too long telling that. Back in the late 90s, they had a ladies' meeting in this church that they first planted in Kalemi, and about a thousand women attended. And now, you got to realize, they started in 57, this is in the 90s, 40 years. And one of the women introduced Mary and said, when she came here, she was young and skinny, 
Now she's old and fat. But she loves us still. And, of course, Elmer and Mary and us in the West laugh at that. But in Africa, being fat is a sign of, pro of, of prosperity and that your husband is taking good care of you. And so they had a chuckle over that one. When Elmer won Gregoire, a witch doctor's son to Christ, the Lord provided them their first dynamic young pastor, evangelist, and Christian leader. Their country home was vandalized during the first civil war after independence in 1960. Mary, then Elmer, evacuated, then returned when the unrest settled down. In 1961, God protected them through an unforgettable night of terror when the house they occupied was caught in the crossfire of opposing troops. After three years of evangelism and discipleship, including Mary's effective and growing ladies' ministry, they planted their first church in Lubelay, a village near Albertville, Calimia, in 1962. Their ministry expanded in the area along with Mary's Ladies' Ministry, and more churches were organized. Schools were established in the newly organized churches, too. The Civil Rebellion began in 1964. The Second Civil War was devastating to the Deal's gospel work because Pastor Gregoire was captured, beaten, and drowned by the Zimbas on May 31, 1964. Shortly thereafter, the deals were placed under house arrest. The civil rebels announced that all Americans were to be arrested and executed. But in July, the deals escaped when the Simba chief Sumialo let them pass to the evacuation boat without even knowing they were American. A miracle in answer to prayer. It took some time, but the traumas Mary experienced produced burnout in 1970. But through prayer and counseling, after six months furlough, she overcame it. When she returned to Congo with Elmer, they continued ministry evangelism and church planting. Mary took special interest in helping pastors' wives, their children, and families. She brought large amounts of practical gifts from America, which she bestowed on pastors and their wives, such as Pastor Delphan, and Josephine's shown here. Elmer says Josephine is the best cook in all of the Congo. They planted 16 churches before political conditions forced them out of the country in 1974. They returned in the 80s to plant 27 new churches. They used long houses like this. The pastor and his family lived in half the building, and the church met in the other half. These longhouses soon grew and filled buildings erected by the people with help and leadership from Elmer and Mary Deal. And since 1959, the Deals have planted 164 churches, two Bible institutes, three medical clinics, and numerous schools in four provinces of the Congo. Nineteen, I'm sorry, in 2003, Mary was diagnosed with cancer but continued to go back to the Congo as she was able. And after five years of courageous struggle, she died on April 21st, 2008. 
Bible institutes and medical clinics in the Congo bear her name as a memorial. Many Congolese parents have named their baby girls Mary as a memorial to her. And now at least one church in Lubumbashi, Congo, bears her name as a memorial. Her exclusive service to Jesus Christ, the expense or the price she paid to serve the Lord over 50 years as a missionary to one of the most difficult fields in the world, and the excellence of what she did to make her life worthy. Closing, I just have a question for all of us. Only one life and we pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. We come on Memorial Day to remember those who passed on before us. And the question we ultimately have to ask, how are we going to be remembered? Am I going to be remembered as the grumpy old man? that was stingy and selfish and self-centered or how was Mary of Bethany remembered? She's remembered what? As a Christian. How is Mary Deal remembered? She's remembered as a Christian. You know, the best memorial any of us could have is to be remembered as a Christian. Are you a Christian? Have you accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Have you invited Him into your life? Christian friend, are you living for the Lord? Is your service, does it have a, uh, an element in it that's exclusively for Christ? Are you willing to pay a price to serve the Lord? What about the excellence of your service? These are the reasons what Mary did was remembered. These are the reasons why Mary Deal's life is remembered. That's how we need to have.